Good morning to you. Uh, just adjusting the light a little bit. Uh, great to see you today. Uh, so we continue in our little study of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, it's this timeless distillation of what Christians have believed down the centuries. And as someone has said, the Apostles' Creed does not contain everything that we believe. Uh, but we cannot believe any less than what the Apostles' Creed teaches. So in other words, the Apostles' Creed has the essential truths, but there are lots and lots of things that we believe and that the Bible teaches that are, of course, not covered within the Apostles' Creed. And one of the things that is not covered is the 30 years of Jesus' life between his incarnation, which we looked at last Thursday with Joshua, and his atoning sacrifice on the cross, which we're looking at this morning. But of course, the life and the teaching and the righteousness of Jesus through his life is an essential thing that we want to believe, but it isn't actually covered in the Apostles' Creed. But of course, the crucifixion is absolutely central to our Christian faith. And this is the line that we're looking at right now. I believe in um, hang on, let's just get our lines ready and see. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. I believe in Jesus. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and was buried. Now, within that short statement, there are five things that we can look at very quickly. The first is the centrality of the cross. We see in this passage that right at the centre of our faith is that we believe that he died, that he was crucified. And the Apostle Paul certainly emphasises that. For example, in Galatians chapter six, he says, may I never boast in anything else other than the cross of Christ. And if you want to see the centrality of the cross, a great place to go is 1 Corinthians. And if you want to read your Bible study notes on 1 Corinthians, you'll find that it really does centre around the cross and all the things that Paul teaches through this wonderful letter of 1 Corinthians are tied in to the centrality of the cross. So, for example, he starts in chapter 1 and verse 23, and he says that we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We preach Christ crucified. And just at the end of 1 Corinthians in chapter 15 and verse 3, it says this, what I passed, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And so this is the central teaching of the Christian church. It's no accident that the cross, of course, is the symbol amongst many of Christianity. The centrality of the cross. The second thing we can see is the historicity of the cross, that it is historical fact. It's not just some vague thing that happened. It actually happened in a certain time, in a certain place, under a certain ruler. And that ruler is mentioned, suffered under Pontius Pilate. I don't know about you, but I often think it's quite odd that you've got all these great truths coming in the Apostles' Creed, timeless theology, and then suddenly it says Pontius Pilate. 
very specific, suffered under Pontius Pilate. We're given detail in this creed of the actual governor, Pontius Pilate, who was the fifth governor of the Roman province of Judea, who served under the Emperor Tiberius and reigned from AD 26 to AD 36. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. It was a historical event. And of course, he suffered under him, as in Pontius Pilate was a weak man. He was uh, politically motivated. And in the end, though, he wasn't convinced of the charges against Jesus. He was afraid of the crowd. And Jesus was a political pawn. Uh, he was afraid of the Romans. And so he handed him over to be crucified. The third thing we see in this section is the cruelty of Jesus' death. We've seen the centrality, the historicity, and thirdly, the cruelty of Jesus' death. He was crucified, it tells us. That was the manner by which he was killed. Now, the Bible gives us enough information about the crucifixion to realise how terribly cruel it was, but it doesn't give us too many gory details. It's the main reason why, for me, I haven't and won't I'm planning not not to ever watch the passion of the Christ the movie by Mel Gibson because there is more detail in that movie than the bible chooses to give us but it was a cruel death of course it was the height of pain and it was the depth of shame it was the height of pain because of the physical nature of crucifixion, but it was the depth of shame as well to be crucified. As Joshua spoke recently uh, about the cross, that actually the cross was a, a terribly shameful way to die. Tacitus says that uh, civilized people don't even talk about the cross. It's not even mentioned. It's such a dirty word. And in fact, only slaves were crucified. Free men would have been given the death penalty by other means. If you were a slave, you be, could be crucified. That gives meaning to Philippians chapter two, where we read that Jesus became a slave, became a servant and humbled himself even to death, death on a cross. You see, he didn't just humble himself to death. It was death on a cross, the very depths of shame that he took upon himself. And so the cruelty of the cross. The fourth thing we see about this passage is the reality of Jesus' actual death, that he actually did die, that he didn't just swoon, but that he was buried. It tells us he was buried. Now, you don't bury someone who is still alive. We're told in John's gospel that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus came and took the body with Pontius Pilate's permission and buried him in the garden tomb uh, and with 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe and wrapped him in linen. And he was actually buried. He was dead and buried. And then the final thing we see from this little section is this, the theology of the cross. So we've seen the centrality of the cross, the historicity of the cross, the cruelty of the cross, the reality of the death of Jesus, and finally, the theology of the cross. Now, I said at the beginning that the Apostles' Creed doesn't teach us everything that we need to or that we want to know. And actually, the, the Apostles' Creed, I'll be honest, is quite light on the theology of the cross, but it's hinted at. 
And so it says, I believe in. And so we believe in something that leads to something. And it says, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Clearly, forgiveness of sins flows from the death of Jesus on the cross. But in this very little section, what we see here is it says he was crucified and crucified was code language. It was a theologically loaded word because to be crucified was to be cursed. In Deuteronomy 21, it says cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And so in Galatians chapter three, Paul picks this theme up and he says in verse 13 that Christ um, received for us, sorry, uh, the from the curse of, sorry, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. I'm struggling to read my writing. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. Jesus was cursed on the cross. Crucifixion was a cursing. It was the wrath of God being poured out upon him instead of upon us so that we might be forgiven. Through his death, we receive life. We no longer are under the curse of God. We're now under the blessing of God. We're now favoured by God. We're no longer rejected by God. The cross is the sign of God's love towards you and me. It tells us in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. He's done that for us because we are his friends. He's laid down his life. He's taken the curse because he loves you. Do you know today, as you go into your day, you need to know that he loves you and that he's demonstrated his love once and for all, conclusively and finally and absolutely and unconditionally by dying on the cross. You cannot dispute the love of God for you because it has been proven once and for all. Whatever you're going through, however difficult it is, you can hold on to this truth. He loves you. The son of God loves you and gave his life for you. As it tells us in Romans, um, uh, it tells us that God shows his love for us in Romans. uh, It says he shows his love for us in that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter five and verse eight. That's his love for you. He loves you today. You can be confident in his love. You can be uh, absolutely convinced as you go into the day. So let us pray together. Lord, we thank you that you willingly laid down your life. You willingly suffered under Pontius Pilate, that you were crucified for us, that you died, that you were buried that you laid down your life so that we might have life. And thank you, therefore, the curse has been lifted. We can be confident of your love. We can be confident that you accept us and that you're with us and you're for us. And we pray that we would know that today. Pray that everyone who's watching would be aware very much of your love for them, whatever they're going through, that they would know that you proved your love for them once and for all. And therefore, if you did not give up your only son, did not spare your only son, how much more will you not give us all things? We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.